Uh, good morning, North Lakes. Uh, so if you're a kid and you want to head out with Mr. Nate, you can go ahead and do so now. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Kid at heart, you know. Uh, and Brett's going to pass around the bucket. Yeah, you guys want to give an offering or a little bit. be great. Um, but yeah, well, good morning. Uh, so we're going to continue our series. And it is my second sermon series. We're going to wrap that up. Uh, not the first. But, uh, but yeah, so we're going to continue the series and finish the series called Encountering Jesus. So if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, or maybe you've missed one, and you need a reminder, what exactly is this series about? What are we trying to accomplish here uh, as we go through the Word? So the idea with this series is we're trying to explore what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus today in our own time and our own context? What mindset do I need to have? <laughs> what mindset do I need to have? <laughs> Good. Okay. What mindset do I need to have? How does my life need to be different as I'm a follower of Jesus? And in order to ex- you know, explore what that looks like and learn what does that look like, we've been going through different stories in the Bible where people had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Because oftentimes, these people, when they met with Jesus, they came with the same questions that they had, that we have. What does it mean for them to follow Jesus? How does it change their life, and what mindset do they need to have? And after their encounter, they learned some things on what it looked like to follow Jesus. So we're exploring these stories and seeing what can we learn from their encounter so that we can know from what they learned how to be a follower of Jesus in their own time and in their own context, how we can be a follower of Jesus in ours. So one thing that I've mentioned at the beginning of each sermon, and this might be a good thing to do like when we read the Bible on our own, is try to identify which character we identify with in that story. Because oftentimes when we go through a story, we identify and we connect with certain characters. We see that their struggles or whatever it is they're going through is similar to our own. So with that character, we attach themselves. We're like, what are they going through? What can we learn from their lives? Because we want them to resolve their issue and their problem. So that in our story, we can have that same resolution. And that we can learn from what they learn. I want you guys to continue to have that mindset today as you go through this encounter. Uh, The first week we explored the story of Levi, a tax collector, and we learned that being a tax collector, he kind of had this questionable background, and he might not be the person that you would initially think would be a follower of Jesus. But despite his past, God still called him to be a follower. So from Levi, we learned that our own past really doesn't matter a whole lot. Because what Jesus is calling us into is something different than our past. And it's just that willingness to say, yes, I will be a follower in order to begin that journey. That's not something that we earn. And the second week, we explore the story of Peter. We that even though that he failed because he denied Jesus, that even after that, Jesus still called him to be a follower. So we learned that even if we fail, That doesn't mean it's over for us. That doesn't exclude us from being a follower of Jesus. That Jesus does forgive us in our failures, and there's grace in our failures. And we continue to keep on trying to live for Christ. 
Then last week, we went through the story of a father with an epileptic son. Uh, and who he asked Jesus if he could heal his son and cure the spirit, take the spirit out of his son that was causing this problem. But when he asked him, there was still this bit of doubt because he believed, but he needed help in his unbelief. But even with that faith that he had, Jesus still worked through that. So we learned in our own lives, and even if we have doubt, Jesus still works within our faith. I mean, still live out our faith, even with our doubts. And our faith grows as a result of that. And this idea of doubt, we're going to continue to build off of today, but going at a deeper level of it. This week, we're going to f- focus on what happens when we get to our most serious form of doubt. Not just to doubt, but to lose hope. When the situation around us is overwhelming. And we're kind of like, Jesus, where are you in this? These moments can look in a few different ways. Might be the loss of a loved one or an illness coming in or maybe a chaotic family. And in these moments, we might have questions. And even if we're a follower of Jesus, we're like, Jesus, where are you? In these challenging moments, we begin to feel discouraged. You may wonder why. I've been following you for a while, but why is this still occurring? If you thought this way, as I've thought this way before, I can say that you're not alone in this thought. And as we seek to navigate, how can we go through a situation like that? We're going to explore the story of John the Baptist. So, um, but before we start this story, who is John the Baptist? Um, where does the story take place? So this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the story. Um, so, yeah. But even before Jesus started his ministry, as we'll see here, John was still completely devoted to Jesus. So starting in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3, if you want to follow along. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So here we get the psyche and the purpose of John's life. This prophecy in Isaiah, this voice out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord, it comes from the book of Isaiah, where at that time, uh, when the prophecy was given, the people of Israel were soon to be facing exile in Babylon. They were going to be taken away from their homeland into another world, another land. And in this time where they were going to be away, they were going to be desiring this new exodus moment. And if you're not familiar with the exit event, it was when at the very beginning of their history, they were slaves in Egypt, the people of Israel. But God brought them out of it, led them away from Egypt and back into the promised land, Israel, where they lived. So as they were on the brink of being taken away, they wanted that moment again where God saved them from their situation and brings them back to where they were. In Isaiah, 
God promises a similar event, that it was going to come through a man, this chosen one, and he was going to bring them back, but it was going to be a little different than they might expect. Because it wasn't just going to be bringing them back to the land. It was going to be the spiritual exodus, where God was going to save his people from the things that tormented the soul and enslaved them, the sin and evil that exists in the world God was going to lead them out of. And before that was going to come someone who's going to prepare the way for that chosen one. And that person to prepare was the voice in the wilderness. And this is who John was. His purpose was to prepare the way to keep people ready for this new exodus, where they're going to be saved from the things that plagued them. And he was fully committed and believed in Jesus, that he was this person who's going to save them, this chosen one. Because we can read in Matthew 3, 13 through 16. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him by saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. So here we can see that John was fully devoted to Jesus because part of him was like, no, no, this needs to be you doing this. But Jesus is like, no, this has to be done. So even here we see that John is focusing not on himself, but on Jesus and what he wants. Which we've talked about a few times in this series that focusing on Jesus' desires rather than our own is part of what being a follower of Jesus is about. So here we can see that even before Jesus really began his ministry, he was a completely devoted follower of Jesus. And everything that he did was for him. But despite his devotion, John wasn't free from difficult times. Uh, for the story, it doesn't really have this nice, super happy uh, way, in the same way that life isn't always easy or happy. Because after he baptized Jesus and Jesus kind of begins his own ministry, Herod, this puppet king for the Romans at the time, uh, had gotten into this kind of weird relationship that was kind of seen as sinful. And John, being the man of God that he was, speaks out against it. And as a result, he gets thrown into prison. And in this time of prison, that's the main focus of our story today. Because here's where John gets to his most extreme form of doubt, where he starts doubting Jesus and losing that sense of hope. So he seeks to ask Jesus a question, but since he's in prison, he can't do that. So he sends one of his disciples. Because John, as we uh, talked about other people had disciples in the ancient world where they had these followers that they wanted to learn how to do ministry and what that looked like. So they would attach themselves and follow them. So Jesus had them disciples and so did John. So he sends, so John sends one of his disciples to Jesus with this question. So picking up the story back in Matthew 11 verses one through three. When Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. 
Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? See, here we see John in his greatest moment of doubt. <laughs> Where his doubt leads him to doubting his entire life. Everything that he has done, he's beginning to question. He looks at his walk with God and where it brought him. He brought him to chains and in prison. This wasn't quite what he was expecting as he was expecting that God was going to free his people. But here he is, the opposite of being free. So he's wondering to himself, is this it? All that work for God, and this is where I end up. Was it worth it? And he goes as far as questioning his initial decision to follow Jesus. He's asking, are you really the one that you say you are? Rather than just doubting, he's beginning to lose that hope in Jesus. And here's where I want you guys to think of your own place within the story. I think many times we can identify with John. When life comes and swings in its hardest, and we may have been following Jesus for a while, but life comes in and we begin to have these serious doubts. We begin to lose that hope. We may have been doing the right thing, but life situation doesn't quite look like the way that we thought it would. And I've felt this way quite a few times in my life. I don't quite have the best family background, and there have been times where I had to stand up and do the right thing. Looking back, I know I did the right thing. But even despite that, life seemed to be collapsing all around me. And similar to John, I began asking, where are you in all this? Are you really the one who you say you are? And I needed that hope restored. And perhaps you felt a similar situation in your own life where you needed that hope to be restored. But fortunately for us and for John, it's not quite where the story ends. Because back in Matthew 11, Jesus replies, picking up in uh, verse 4. Verse 4. Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus replied. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So here, Jesus' reply isn't simply telling John, oh, here's all the really cool stuff I've done while you're in prison. But he's pointing back, to Isaiah, to that prophecy that John felt, this is who I am. Because he's showing, I'm doing the things that I've been prophesied to do. Because this person who is going to lead the people out was going to heal the blind, cure the sick, <laughs> raise the dead. So basically, everything that Jesus had been doing was fulfilling that prophecy, was delivering that promise of God. 
when he was telling John, he's trying to restore us hope by saying, yes, I'm the one whom you've been waiting for. Trust in me, put your hope in me. And at that moment in John's life, it may seem that all is lost. But despite his circumstances, Jesus remains the same. And where he is leading his people and where he's leading John is the same. The freedom and out of that situation. During uh, one of my times of struggle where I was wrestling with God in the sense of hope, I came across this passage in the Psalms that really kind of ties in to a lot of what Jesus is talking about here. And this is a little bit of a longer psalm, but I want to read it in its entirety to get the full essence of it. So starting at the beginning of Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then the spirit made a delight search, a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this for the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your right, your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lightened up to the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What I love about the book of Psalms is there seems to always be this psalm or this prayer in it that reaches to wherever season I am in life, whether that's a good season or a bad season. Um, because there's always something that I can sympathize with. And this one I can definitely sympathize with. Because it's so honest where the writer sees himself and he's in a difficult situation. We're not quite sure what that situation was, but he's asking these questions. Is God there? Has he abandoned us? But what he does is he remembers what has happened in the past because he's remembering 
the original Exodus moment where God freed his people through the waters of the Red Sea. And he's reminding himself that that God is the same God in that situation. That God hasn't changed, even though the circumstances around us have. And that God hasn't abandoned us. But he will indeed work and bring his promise to his people. And that's where Jesus is reminding John here. That in spite of his present circumstances, God is still working. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned John. So have hope in our lives. Um, That's what we need to remind ourselves, is to continue to have hope. So what does that look like for us exactly, that holding on to hope? Does it mean that he'll deliver us out of this situation that we're here on earth? Or what is it going to look like in our lives today? Well, for John, that wasn't quite the case. He wasn't delivered out of that situation in this life. Because he never really made it out of prison. He was killed. He was beheaded. But this life, his life, isn't all that there is. Because this life was not the end of John's story, and it's not the end of our story. Because we explored earlier that Jesus' mission in the world is to bring us out, to free us of the very things that plague our soul, the sin and evil that exists in the world, and to bring us into this new world, this kingdom of God, that we read about in Revelation where death shall be no more and no more mourning, no crying, and no more tears. That all the bad things that we experience in this life will be gone. And we get to experience part of that kingdom now. But later on, this kingdom of God will be fulfilled. And we'll come to fulfillment. And that is what Jesus is leading us into. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus, that even in these challenging situations, Jesus doesn't abandon us. He's still there. He's still doing the very things that he said he was doing, just as he told John. He's still presently working out, even if we don't always see it in the moment. But he's there, and he's the same God that he was. So in that moment, we have to have faith and just try to stretch out and try our best to hold on to that hope so that we can be fueled in that situation. And we'll be reminded that he is still good and he will keep his promises in the end. And that's my hope for you guys, how you hold on to that hope in your lives. Now let's pray and then we'll enjoy tea time. God, I just want to um, I want to thank you for you and who you are. God, I pray that as we go through whatever challenges in our life, that reminded that you are there and you are present. 
And as we seek to follow you, that we're not wavered in that. But we continue to seek you and your kingdom. And that you fill us with joy in those moments. In Christ's name that I pray. Amen.